Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 52. Today I will be talking about the crimes against Danita Tut. There is no murder in this case, but it's a possible Munchausen by proxy case. My sources for today's episode are Accused, Guilty or Innocent, Season 1, Episode 2, titled Protective Mother, Heavy.com, DailyMail.co.uk, StarTelegram.com, Facebook, QNewsHub.com, TheCinemaholic, and Mia.com. As usual, my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Emergency, how can I help you? We have a possible birth, we have a child, kids, terminal diagnosis, severe malnutrition. It seemed like every time we turned around, they were telling us, prepare yourself. He wasn't going to make it. Mom has repeatedly asked, can't we just give Colby something to make him go to sleep and he not wake up? I think that somebody would accuse me of wanting to hurt my son. It just, oh my God, it just killed me. A Cleburne woman faces allegations of medical child abuse, including lying about her son's symptoms, leading doctors to perform unnecessary surgeries. Danita Tutt lived with her husband, Clint, and their two sons, Colby and Colton Tutt, in Fort Worth, Texas. Danita was accused of starving her son, Colby, who she said had been sick since birth. This episode tells Danita's story from the defense side. She was being charged with four counts. The first two were fabricated symptoms, the third count being starvation, and the fourth count was attempted murder. Danita was facing up to life in prison. Over the last 15 years, Colby was under constant medical supervision and has had 17 operations. He's got heart issues. He has very low bone density. You know, he's got issues with his kidneys. He's got uh, gastro reflux disease. He takes several things to try to go to the bathroom. Basically, his GI don't work. It's just, it's just not working properly. As you heard, Colby has a lot of medical issues, and in 2015, Colby's stomach and colon issue worsened. He became dangerously malnourished. For this, he had two surgeries, which were both unsuccessful. The doctors at Cook Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth told Danita that they couldn't perform any more surgeries. They suggested that Colby be put in hospice. According to Wikipedia, hospice is a type of healthcare that focuses on the palliation of a terminally ill patient's pain and symptoms and attending to their emotional and spiritual needs at the end of life. While they were at hospice, the owner of the hospice center, a woman named Connie, called 911. Here's an affidavit by Connie. We determined that this child both desired and could tolerate solid foods and fluids and had minimal reports of pain. His mother refused to have any food or drink brought to Kobe, stating his eating would only prolong the inevitable. What she told me, Connie told me that eating and drinking is prolonging him. According to Danita and the defense, everything that Danita had done for Kobe came from suggestions from Connie. These included not letting him drink or have food and even talking about funeral, funeral arrangements. 
Connie reported that Danita said she wished Colby could take something and not wake up. Connie would eventually testify against Danita at trial. The defense had to examine the allegations of unnecessary surgeries. They consulted with a pediatric specialist, Dr. Neil Spears, who claimed that it was a good defense and he wasn't sure why this was a criminal case. We're primarily concerned about the surgical procedures that are named in the indictment. Mm -hmm. Is there a case for the ileostomy to be uh, unnecessary? I don't think you'd, you'd have a case at all for this. Ileostomies, it's a, it's a fairly simple procedure. It's like, okay, they've gone through all the normal non-surgical interventions for chronic and recurrent constipation. Let's try to just bypass the colon altogether. So let's give his colon a break, you know, and make it not have to do anything basically for a while. Um, and if it works, we can reattach it. You know, ileostomy takedowns are a normal procedure for a pediatric GI doctor. To right. me, that was the logical progression. Right. It's not risky. It's not dangerous. It's certainly messy. You have to deal with the whole bags and poop and all that fun right. stuff. But it's, um, I thought it was a reasonable thing to do at the so, time. So it was totally reasonable. Yeah. And, and you're not going to make a surgeon do anything anyways. You know, I mean, we have to justify what we do to our peers. We have to justify it to insurance companies. If things go bad, if this child dies in surgery or some, there's some complication and it goes to court, how do I justify this? Right. And, it, and his ileostomy is easily justifiable. Colby's main problems occurred around August to September 2015. He couldn't get rid of waste. He had three surgeries within eight weeks to help him swallow, digest food, and eliminate waste. The surgeries caused complications. This is when it was suggested that Colby should be put in hospice. Colby's extended family was shocked and didn't believe Colby was going to die. Danita's family all said there was no way she would have hurt Colby intentionally and described her as a great mom. Under hospice care, Colby developed sepsis, a life-threatening blood infection. The hospice center suggested that Colby be moved to Ronald McDonald House for his, quote, final days. I put final days in quotes because Colby is alive today. Colby's final wish was to attend WrestleMania, which they went to in a limo. Colby was also surprised with a surprise visit from Eric Rowan. Danita was then accused of starving Colby. Many reports said that during an observation period, Colby would eat solid foods and consume foods on a regular basis while he wasn't in his parents' presence. Of course, Danita's family were all witnesses to the love and support that Danita had apparently been giving to Colby. We were down there every day. Every day that he was at hospice. Right. So you're there every day. Did she starve him in your presence? No. Did no. you ever see him eat? There was always food there for him to eat. Mm -hmm. But when you look at your daughter, do you see any truth to those allegations? I had a 40-year career in this field, and if it was something that I suspected, I would have been the first to jump on it. On May 4th, Connie met with the Tut family and explained that the blood infection had gone away. She said two weeks ago I was positive Kobe was dying of sepsis, blood disorder. The blood infection has miraculously disappeared. Boom. These are her exact words. She stated that she did not know how this happened because Kobe had not had a full course of antibodies. Here we are sitting here We've got a son that we think is dying, and all of a sudden, he's miraculously cured. 
The defense said Connie was accusing Danita of attempting to murder Colby because she was worried about her mistakes and that what would happen to her. After Connie's 911 call, Colby was removed from the home in May 2016 by CPS, Child Protective Services. Colton was removed a week later. A 13-year-old with complex medical issues since birth and a mother devoted to his care. But child services have now taken that boy away from his home and the mother has been arrested. Colby and his younger brother have both been taken into CPS custody. Danita and Clint fought in court for custody of their sons, and after nine months, the boys were returned. Three months before Danita's trial, the prosecution shared their evidence with the defense. The prosecution painted Danita as someone who talked about Colby's conditions 24-7. They, indi they indicated that Danita was suffering from Munchausen by proxy. According to Wikipedia, it's a mental health problem in which a caregiver makes up or causes an illness or injury under his or her care. The biggest example being Dee Dee Blanchard. Her picture literally comes up when you Google Munchausen by proxy. Jamie Kaufman, a Munchausen by proxy expert at Cook Children's Medical Center, was set to testify in court and she had never met Danita. We're now joined by Dr. Jamie Kaufman, who is a child abuse pediatrician at Cook Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth. What are you doing? that others aren't doing? Well, what we have at our institution, we have a case management system. Um, and if they have concern, they'll send the cases to me. And then I'll review them. And I have five to 10 of those a month on my desk that I'm reviewing. Five to 10 a month? Yes. Yes, that we're reviewing. And then out of those, about one a month rise to the level to be reported. Danita's trial in 2018 was not filmed. During the first week, the prosecution called its medical witnesses, four doctors and a surgeon. Not a single doctor said they performed a surgery due to Danita's statements. During week two, Connie testified over two days. So good yesterday. You know, we got Connie. <laughs> and then uh, we get up today and we get more of Connie. And I felt like it was okay. So they had one witness left. And Dr. Jamie Kaufman is their cleanup lady. Mm -hmm. I know when I'm getting hit. And we haven't really taken a punch. No. But Jamie Kaufman is there to throw that punch. She claims she's gone through 11,000, 12,000 medical records. And then she's gone back and looked at your Facebook post. Mm -hmm. And she's found a discrepancy. And therefore, you're a liar. And if you're a liar in your Facebook post, you're a liar to the doctor. Danita's Facebook posts were brought up. Danita said everything she had posted was told to her by medical professionals. Surprisingly, I couldn't find any examples online about what Danita had posted, but the defense did prove that much of what Danita said had been written in Colby's medical files. It did seem like Danita posted about Colby's illnesses an awful amount. During week three of trial, Jamie Kaufman testified. The defense called 17 witnesses over five days. Danita was advised not to testify, even though she wanted to. The jury deliberated over three days. Danita Tutt was found guilty of causing her child serious bodily injury and attempted murder for withholding nutrients and food from her child, counts three and four. On October 26, 2018, Danita was sentenced to five years in prison and 10 years of probation for the attempted murder charge. Danita was denied parole in May 2019. She was eligible again in October 2021, but she's still in jail at this time. It's a hard case for me to have an opinion on, but I don't think anyone who anyone can cause a medical professional to form 
to perform unnecessary surgery. We also have the case of Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose, though, and that seems to be exactly what happened. However, that one is a little different because they moved around so much. The only thing that gets me that is that Colby seemed to have gotten better after he was out of Danita's care and her Facebook posts are a little extra in my opinion. Yes, many people share posts about their families, kids, etc. But I can see why many thought she had Munchausen by proxy. I can see why people thought that she wanted attention. Danita does seem to seek attention and maybe even like the perks she was receiving when she described how sick Colby was. I feel so sad for Colby and Colton. Obviously, it's so awesome that Colby is still alive today. I can't imagine what he's going through and how he feels about his mom. He's probably been told so many different things by his family who all believe Danita is innocent. And I'd love to know what you guys think. Now for my book recommendation for this week is The Co-Ed Call Girl Murders by Fanny Weinstein and Melinda Wilson. Summary. Bright and magnetic, Tina Bigger was an all-American girl from a picture-perfect family. She studied hard and played hard, and when a subject interested her, she couldn't let it go. At college, Tina worked on a research project interviewing prostitutes about AIDS awareness. Later, she explored on her own the seedy world of the high-class call girl and walked into a nightmare she'd never returned from. Living off-campus with her boyfriend Todd, Tina's interest has taken a dangerous turn. One of her family and friends suspected that the 23-year-old blonde was secretly working as a call girl for three shadowy escort services, providing sexual favors to strangers for $100 an hour. Then one day, Tina was gone. Four weeks later, police found her decomposed body behind a vacant house, hidden there by a 41-year-old treacherous ex-con and regular client who would be charged with her violent death. Only with her tragic murder did the twisted story of Tina's shocking double life emerge before the horrified eyes of those who knew and loved her. I actually watched the Forensic Files episode and wrote about Tina's case on my blog. Tina seemed like a very smart woman. She wanted to get into a good graduate school, so she decided to do a research project on the health of female sex workers. She became entangled in the world and ultimately led to her death. The man that killed her was nothing more than a lowlife who lied to her over and over. Tina thought she had found a friend, but when she confronted him about his lies, he killed her. Tina should be remembered as much more than an escort. Her parents tried to keep her double life a secret, but it seems that they really couldn't. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe to my blog. Follow me on Instagram. You can now follow me on Twitter at It's Crime O'Clock. Join my Patreon, buy me a coffee, and rate and review. Oh, and also I forgot I give the book that I read a 10 out of 10. It's actually a really good book. I recommend it. Again, I'd love to know what you guys think about this case and my book recommendation. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.